Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here with Digital Dealership Solutions. Hey, thanks for joining me on another episode of Coffee with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from Nova Scotia, Mr. Brandon Smith. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. Thanks so much, Jason. It's a real pleasure to be here. Hey, Brandon, for everyone that's listening or watching right now and kind of don't know about your background and how you kind of got started in the industry, if we can kind of start with the two-minute origin story that is Brandon, sure. that'd be a great place for us to kick it off. Sure, sounds good. So um, shortly after uh, leaving Ontario, moving back to Nova Scotia, my mom had been in the industry for a, a while as a, as a salesperson and a finance manager. I got really interested and wanted to be a, become a finance manager. I took a course through Sal, a five-day course, and was really ready to go. And then uh, I ended up getting a, landing a job as a salesperson with the promise of an F&I job in, in the future. And, uh, you know, I really liked it. I was uh, started at a Kia store and, and loved selling. And then when I felt I was ready, um, the group I was at the time didn't agree with me. So I actually uh, managed to find a, an F&I job at a Honda dealership in Fredericton. I uh, went there and was there for about two years and loved F&I and everything about it. Uh, had a lot of success, and I was actually um, approached by a dealership, uh, a Mitsubishi dealership, also in Fredericton, to kind of come over there and redo their F&I department. They were going through some growth and some changes, so I went over there. And about six months later, I was promoted to sales manager. Uh, this terrible idea that I should be a GM one day, so I really <laughs> wanted to learn every side of the business. And uh, I was there for about uh, two years almost as a, a sales manager, and uh, I recently just came here where I'm at now at uh, Steel uh, Chevrolet Buick GMC in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, where the number one uh, GM dealer at Atlanta, Canada, and I'm a sales manager here now. So that's the uh, that's the history. I am in charge of the F&I department here now, and uh, a sales manager on the, as well. So I get to wear both hats still, which is a lot of fun. I think it's so cool that you have a very clear goal and objective in mind of what you want to do with your career, and you are heading in that direction. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I've been in a lot of dealerships. I mean, thousands of dealerships all over Canada, all over the U.S. And I find that there are two different types of GMs out there, right? There are ones that literally had the intent to become the GM. Then there are ones that are literally just by osmosis <laughs> or just the <laughs> yeah. amount of time that they worked at the dealership just kind of naturally just said, you know, what else are we going to do with this guy that's worked here for the next, for the last 25 years? Let's make him a general manager, you know? So yeah. I, I, I am fascinated, man, on why you'd put yourself through that torture. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, like, <laughs> no, I'm curious though, like what about the GM role that gets you jacked and excited? Like why, why you want to do that? You know, it was, it was, I don't even know where it really started. I was just, I was an FNI manager at the, uh, the Honda store at the time. And I had this kind of idea. I was like, you know, where am I going? What do I want to do? Do I want to do this FNI thing forever? You know, what, what kind of things I do to challenge myself and grow. And um, at the time, the uh, dealer principal was a GM at the Honda store um it was talking about different challenges he was facing i was mm -hmm. like man you know what? this kind of stuff sounds really really interesting this is something i think i could see myself really doing and really enjoying because i really like to challenge myself i want to grow and uh i think you know comfort is is a, is a nice thing but it's only nice and really short first because if you're comfortable all the time you're not growing you're not learning and uh, that gm role seems like it was a new challenge every day and i love that idea so i kind of put myself on a path towards doing that it's so funny you say that because um, I've heard this almost the exact same thing from multiple people that have the intention, right? It's like they like the challenge. They want the challenge, you know, the, the idea of, you know, running and creating, you know, operations and strategies for multiple departments within the business. I mean, let's face it, you know, depending on the size of your dealership, you're running four separate businesses all at the exact same time, you know, and at the end of the day, the buck stops with you right so you know right now you're being a sales manager i know actually before let's talk before you get before we talk about sales manager i want to talk about when you were an f and i manager because you were an yeah. f and i manager 
um, at Mitsubishi, which for anybody who listens to this podcast, all right, uh, or watching this knows that being an F&I manager at Mitsubishi is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, talk, so tell me, how, how, did, how, did you, how did you start kind of with, with Mitsubishi? You were at the Honda dealership, and then you went, yep. over, and then you went over to Mitsubishi. And mm-hmm. um, what was your approach to F&I when you were at Mitsubishi? Well, so Mitsubishi and Honda have very different products. So right away, very I was dealing so. with a different, uh, a different buyer, a different mindset of the buyer. Um, and one of the things I found out that I knew right off the hop is that Mitsubishi is attract someone who's, a, who's attracted to loyalty. Mitsubishi is strong with their 10-year mm-hmm. warranty. Um, and I knew right away that if these people are buying these cars because they really love this warranty, they're obviously going to want extended warranty. So my extended warranty penetration was off the charts. Um, even with Mitsubishi's 10-year warranty and 160,000 kilometers, it was such an easy upsell to get them to a 10-year, 200,000 kilometer warranty, full comprehensive, right? So that was a really, really easy thing. And, and I knew it, that uh, by taking that approach, knowing that they're a warranty buyer, um, that that was an easy first step. And then from there, just kind of building out a menu, uh, a big believer in menu selling mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of giving these people the best options and building the value in these options. Uh, I knew that someone who was buying Mitsubishi saw the value in protections as well. So if I could build well, value, that's the reason why they're buying the Mitsubishi, success. right? You know, exactly. I, I, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, um, being a Mitsubishi dealer owner and um, the Mitsubishi buyer, they're buying the product because they're going to keep the product for a long time, right? It, it, it's, it's funny, you know, it's not like if you're going to go lease a Toyota or you're going to lease a Honda, you know, you're only going to lease it for two, three or four years and you're just going to move on to the next one. I have found with Mitsubishi owners, they bought it with the intention of owning it for that full 10 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, and, and I agree with you. I, uh, there was so many times I heard from, you know, other Mitsubishi dealerships that they really struggled in selling the extended protection because the manufacturer already came with such a long uh, warranty, but you have to understand the consumer. And, and I think that's probably what was working really well for you is that, you know, you understood kind of the mindset of the consumer. Why were they particularly buying this product? They're buying it because they plan to keep it for a long period of time. It's not like a two or four year lease. They're going to own this thing for a long period of time. That's really cool. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I mean, so much so on the East Coast here too, as well. You know, there's a lot of things that, that work against people who want to keep a vehicle a long time. So now rust protection becomes a really important protection. Mm-hmm. Now that's an easy sell. And then, you know, there's a ton of negative equity here in the East Coast as well. Gap is really important. And just building values slowly one at a time in these things and then presenting them in a, in a place that, you know, suddenly it makes a lot of sense and there's all this value built up. Um, I had a ton of success going that way, so. Well, and the keyword's value, right? You know, I think a lot of people get in F&I and they just look at the, the extended warranties of rust protection as products. And in fact, actually, I hear the word used a lot that it's a product. You know, well, I only sold two products on that one. I only sold one product to that person. It's like, it's not really a product, what you're selling, what you're selling is value. Value is all perception. So, I mean, I, I find that, and I also find this, that good F&I managers that understand that actually ultimately come, become good sales managers. And I, so it doesn't surprise me one bit that you took this approach in your F&I efforts of value building not necessarily mm-hmm. product selling. Does that make sense? Kind of the two different mind frames 100%. there? Oh, it's the way you view these stuff too. I've seen a lot of FMI managers that, that don't come in with the same mindset that I had mm-hmm. and, and they stumble. And, and I've seen guys who are fantastic sales managers actually tried to go the other way, become a good sales manager, go to become a good FMI manager and just stumbled because they're so, I think they're so volume focused a lot of times that sometimes it's, well, how many products can I sell on this right now? Instead of going the other way, 
and building value and building their protections. For me, it was all about everything I sold was a protection and protections has so much value already built in. If you start thinking about it as a product or something to sell, I think you've already lost. You really got to believe in what you're selling is a really important thing that I, I really felt was strong. Every product I sold, I knew in and out and I knew what value could bring to someone's day. So. And so, so every time you got a chance to sit down with those customers, you were building value. I imagine a lot of those exercises of going through and building value is what pushed you into being a sales manager. Yeah, now, so the, now what you're doing is you're bringing value to the salespeople and to customers, right? Exactly. And, and a big part of it for me too was it was, uh, it was, an, it was another challenge. It came at, at such a good time. So I just moved to Mitsubishi store. I've been there about six months. And uh, there was this opening for a sales manager and I was talking with the owner at the time and about, you know, how I wanted to grow in my career. And he was really, really happy with me in the F&I. He didn't really want to take a, you know, a, a good performing in F&I and move him over to the sales manager and then have, have you know, have, two, have a brand new sales manager and now need another F&I manager. But I actually ended up going and finding my own replacement and be like, listen, I can become a sales manager. And I have a guy who's just as good as me. I just trained him. And, uh, and so sorry, I want to stop so. you there for one second there because I think this is really cool. So that your dealer principal sat down with you and actually yep. asked you the question of what you wanted to and where you wanted to go. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and that is really name. cool. He's, he's a really, really great operator and a really, really smart guy in the auto industry. He's, he was born in it. He grew up in it. He's, he's lived the whole thing. He's done everything. And, uh, you know, he, he always made the time for me if I ever had a question, if I ever needed to, you know, wanted to pick his brain or something. Um, learning from him was, was invaluable and I wouldn't be where I am in my career today without him. So, if he's watching, you know, thanks, Dave. We'll make sure to tag it when we post this. Um, but no, no. So Dave, Dave definitely understood the value of his people. Uh, hence Absolutely. the reason he would actually sit down with you and talk to you about what your ultimate goals and objectives are and understand that that may not necessarily be with him. All right. But his, the people that he have at that given moment is so important. Understanding um, where you want to go and help developing a path for you to get to where you want to go ultimately makes you a better employee. So mm -hmm. you had this conversation with Dave, which I think is, is awesome. Now tell me a little bit now, how, when you walked out of this conversation with Dave and you explained to him that you wanted to be a, a GM, is that, is that what happened? Yep. That, that, that was there. That was where I started at. And then, you know, obviously I know that, you know, sometimes people say that, you know, you're an F and I manager, you have to take a step back to come and say, okay, I don't necessarily see that, but, um, you know, so I wanted to, I knew that I had to be in a sales manager before I could be a GM. No one's, no one who's going to be successful is going to be F and I right to GM. It's just, you're mm -hmm. setting yourself up for failure at that point. Um, just like a lot of people, I think, I think start, people who started as F and I managers, I think you're missing an important piece of the puzzle. If you haven't spent a few days, uh, you know, selling cars and getting to learn the customer's mindset, I think you're putting yourself as a disadvantage. Um, I think the absolute best finance managers are, are people who have sold cars as well. Uh, that's been my experience anyway. I think you, you learn so much more. You, have, you can understand where the customer is coming from when they sit at your table. Um, a lot more than, you know, just someone who comes in and sits down the FNI manager's office and they have customers coming in and they haven't been on the other side. So um, just getting to experience as much of the industry as possible, I think makes everyone better for it. So, so you had this great discussion with Dave, you walk out of the meeting. All right. What happened yeah. after you walk out of that meeting? So after I walked out of that meeting, he had kind of said that, you know, at the time I, there was a person at another dealership I knew um, that I thought might make a good, be a good fit. And, uh, um, I kind of said that, you know, if I do become sales manager, I can replace myself very quickly. So my first thing was That's to reach cool. out to this guy and be like, do you think you'd be able to come over? Like if, if there was an opening here, would you want to come? And, uh, and then I kind of paired the two and they got to talking. And then one thing led to another, suddenly I was the sales manager. Suddenly we have a new finance manager come in and, and then we're off to the races. So 
See, I think that's awesome. Actually, I, I, I have a lot of dealer principal that I work with and they're actually, they're, there's a level of fear to actually want to talk to their staff about what they want to do in their career because there's a fear of losing that person. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to my F and I manager about what he ultimately wants to do. He's such a good F and I manager. You know how long it took me to find this person? Like, come on. I don't want to sit there and find out that he wants to be a sales manager or he wants to be a GM or a GSM or something. Like, I don't want to do that because then I got to, because now I'm going to be ultimately responsible for that knowledge, you know? So it's like, what do I do? So this is perfect. So you guys kind of walk out, you got this plan in place of, you know, you ultimately want to be the sales manager because that's kind of that path to being a GM that you need to take. And Mm -hmm. to do so, you're going to have to replace yourself. So man, Dave, we'll have to get Dave on one of the podcasts here because there has to be a significant (laughs) understanding of people just to embrace that. So you go find your replacement. Tell me a little bit about that. How'd that work out? So um, I was actually, when I was at Honda, I'd actually hired a couple of different finance managers in my time. And one of them was, uh, we connected with really, really well. And, and he really, he was hungry to learn. He was hungry to grow. He was picking my brain all the time. And, uh, um, you know, he'd also had, had a very similar start to me. He started selling cars, went and did a finance manager course, got a, got a, uh, a quick opportunity as a short term, as being basically the third uh, F&I manager in a store that really only needed one and a half. Um, so he wasn't getting the repetition that he wanted. He was just kind of sitting around a lot. And uh, he'd actually had applied to a, an ad and at the time I was interviewing all the FNI managers and was basically running the FNI department. So uh, I met this guy, I hired him. We worked together for about, I think six months. And then I'd gone to Mitsubishi and he stayed. And uh, about six months later, I was like, you know, you want to come over here? And, you know, we'd had such a strong connection that he was like, listen, if you think that's the right opportunity for me, I'm in. So, so uh, just so I can, I'm clear and anyone's listening and watching, you were responsible for replacing yourself. More or less. Yeah. That was part I of think, the deal. I, that if I, I was going to become a sales manager, yeah. And then I mean, the other thing too is that you, 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 you were the best F&I manager. manager. So, I mean, it made sense for, for you to be ultimately responsible for finding your replacement. You knew what yeah. worked for you. You knew what worked for the clients. And, you know, you had to find someone that had similar traits to yourself, but someone that didn't just sell product, but sold value, right? Exactly. And, uh, and you know, he and I had such a similar mindset that, that it was a really easy transition. He, he kind of picked up everything that I was doing really well and kind of made it his own, which is, I think, important. And uh, uh, becoming sales manager, I was also tasked with leading the FBI department still. Mm-hmm. And so I was still ultimately responsible for his performance. And there was no way I was going to bring in someone who couldn't at least deliver the same numbers that I thought I could deliver. So, and, uh, you know, he really took it. He ran with it. I think he actually eventually started to outshine what my average was. So, uh, so <laughs> that's exactly what you want as a sales manager. Someone to come exactly in and do better what than want. what you did. Yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah. So, Going into sales management, uh, let's talk a little bit about that now, right? Um, as an F&I manager, you're a little bit of a lone ranger. You know, you're, you, it's, you're, you're in your box. You're in your space. You have your paperwork. It's, you know, you're not really having to manage others and efforts. And so tell me about that transition. What were you surprised by? What were you like, oh crap, what I get myself into? No, <laughs> tell me a little bit well, about the transition. It's funny, right away, um, it was immediately uh, obvious that it's a lot easier to manage a, a file or a department than it is to manage people. Um, <laughs> so my first thought was, you know, I thought so many people had a similar mindset to me. And what I found is that a lot of people don't have the same mindset as me. So um, I thought at first I was trying to manage people like how I would want to be managed. And I was like, listen, just tell me what you need to get done. I'll get it done. And, uh, and that didn't work initially. So there was a lot of learning. And suddenly I need to tell people like, you know, 
well, here's what I want done. Here's how you could do it. Um, you know, tell me what you want. Like, tell me, like, what do you think? What do you need? What can I get you? And uh, I kind of really had to learn and grow very, very quickly. And, uh, and so that was a, a different challenge. I wasn't really anticipating so much of the, uh, you know, being really involved in, in people's days as much as I thought it was. I thought it was more of a, this is kind of where the department's going. Let's go this way, right? Or this is what we want to accomplish as a team. It wasn't, it wasn't these big ideas all the time. It was a lot of getting really into the details and really into the small stuff that was where you had the biggest impact. And, and it is. The small things is what makes the biggest impact. Um, but I, I think when you were trying to create value with the customer and the F&I solutions, now you are stuck with this group of salespeople that you need to continue to have uh, their, um, their fire high. You know, you need that, that fire in their belly lit up, right? You know, it's like, I, I look at sales and I kind of associate like firefighters and sales are kind of similar in the sense that we sit around a lot and then someone walks to the door and it's like, bam, it's like go time, you know? Showtime. Right, it's showtime, you know. So it's like, how do you kind of continue to maintain that fire? And I think it all comes down to value. It's just the perception of value. You know, it's you ask a salesperson to follow a process. What is the value for them to follow that process, or that uh, what's the other, the Witham effect, right? The what's in it yeah. for me kind of a thing, you know. Uh, but it's different for every single person. There's not a, you can't just one value proposition for your entire team, every single person is different. How did you navigate that? I think a big thing for me was, was kind of explaining, um, you know, the process, right? So many people, I think initially we had a lot of new sales guys at the time and a lot of them weren't spending as much time doing the meet and greet and spending a lot more time, obviously negotiating at the end. And it really should be the other way. You spend, spend just so much time in that meet and greet stage early on. I, I want to know everything about you. Tell me your whole life story, right? Um, just building up this idea that, that that meet and greet process is not just, hey, how are you doing? What do you want to see? You got to learn everything about that customer. And the more you can learn that early stages, you know, there's that, that, that triangle idea, right? You know, if you do a triangle like this, where you, yep. your time is spent, or they're growing this way, right? So many of them are doing this way, where you spend a little bit of time at the top and a lot of time at the bottom. And uh, as soon as they kind of change this mindset, there was a big, big change that way too. So that was one of the things that I kind of focused on which for me, when I was a new salesperson, I had had a manager kind of explain that to me. So being able to ch change that or share that message um, with my sales guys now, I think was a big thing. And, and what's kind of funny, the whole auto industry is such a tribal learning atmosphere, right? Everything's such <laughs> passed down. So the better managers you have, it seems like the better manager you become. A lot of it is through trial by fire and just making mistakes and, and going through that. But I, I, I love the fact that that was kind of your, your first the first thing that you wanted to attack, right? Was like, mm -hmm. you know, for a salesperson to bring value to the customer, um, they have to understand that customer better than anything. It's like, okay, cool. They came in for the product. Great. That part of my job's done. <laughs> you know, they've done mm -hmm. their, their months of research or their online shopping. Okay. Now they're, they're literally coming in looking for that black crew cab LTZ, you know, with this tow package on it. So I mean, holy crap, they clearly know what they're looking for. But oh, exactly. for me to to bring more value to this transaction, um, then I need to create a relationship first, right? I need to know mm -hmm. you as a person. So um, it sounds like you take a little bit more of a unique approach to the meet and greet than I would say majority of dealerships do. Yeah, so so, so I think, I think walk me through that. Well, I think one of the things that is important is that everyone who's buying a car wants to deal with an expert. And mm -hmm. an expert doesn't mean you have to know everything about the product. Expert means that you come in with someone who knows how to help you discover what exactly what you want. 
because so many times people are doing this tons and tons of research about the vehicles and all the options and features and they come in and they want to have a specific stock number of mine that they want to see but you don't know what what problems they're trying to solve right so until you can figure out exactly what problem they're trying to solve that might be a great product a great product and it might have a really good price and it's you know it's everything this customer thinks that they want but maybe there's a, a piece of the pie that that customer is missing because they haven't they don't have the, the information that we have right mm-hmm. so being an expert doesn't necessarily mean know everything about the product or know the best sales techniques being an expert to me is being able to connect with a, a customer help them discover what they're really trying to solve, what they're trying to, to accomplish with buying this new car and help them get there. That's what an expert is to me. And that's what everyone I think um, buying a car would like to deal with. I know for me, if I'm coming in someone, I don't care if they know the axle ratios or, or anything else like this. I just want to know, can you help me? Can you help me find what I don't know? Like what, what, what do I not know that you do know? Yeah. Let, let, help me pick up where I left off. Right. I, I think too exactly. often we're forcing people, we're forcing customers into this singular process when it's like, we don't know necessarily where they are in their buying process. Uh, they may still be at the research part of their buying process. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be down to the shopping part of their process where they're looking at a Ford and a Chevy, you know, um, yeah. or they may, you know, have owned Chevys their entire life. And, you know, they just, you know, now they're just moving from their 2009 crew cab to a 2019 crew cab. And in that case, it's like, okay, let's get them in, let's get them out, you know, but too often we kind of create this, this one size fits all sales process, but we're not really taking the time to identify, you know, where are they at? You know, what kind of experience mm-hmm. are they really ultimately looking for? And to your point, I think that has to come out during that meet and greet. I, I agree with you. I think the meet and greet is actually probably one of the most next to the payment presentation is probably the most under um, underestimated part of our sales process is, is making that connection with that person, identifying where they are in their, in their purchasing process. Exactly. And then again, to relate it back to F and I, um, I think F and I managers skip that whole meet and greet process. It's still an important part of the oh, process. You're starting again. Because they're it's selling product. Exactly. That's what right? it is, right? Like, if you sit down and say, hey, listen, great, you're buying this, you know, your brand new vehicle and here's your payment. You know, mm-hmm. what can I sell you now? You're going to strike out. If you don't sit down and, and start learning about the customer and make that connection, the difference is that where the sales guy has hours potentially to make this connection, mm-hmm. you've got like five minutes. And you got like yeah. five minutes to build a good connection and, and learn a bit about the customer. And then you got to dig in because they've already been here for hours and there's no one who wants to spend hours in a box. So, um, it's Why do we call it the that, box? That. Isn't that weird? Like I, I've, I've been getting caught up on this lately on words that we use in our industry and I'm trying to decide if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I'm not actually convinced that we call it the box. You know, I actually heard a salesperson say it the other day and didn't do it on purpose, but actually said it to a customer. Oh no. And I just, my jaw dropped and I went, no, you did not. Like, did you really just tell the customer that they're going to go talk to this person in the box? (laughs) (laughs) And I could kind of tell like they didn't mean to, but you know, I I just, what's your thoughts on this? I'm just curious. I know I'm getting off um, off track here, but it's just like, I've had this conversation with a few people now and it's like, should we be using some of the terminologies that we do? You know, I, I'm probably I probably agree with you. I don't think industry terms should be thrown at customers, you know, at all. You know, there's a, like there's nothing that makes me more upset than hearing someone, oh, it's my up or, or who's up next in front of the customers, like stuff like that, or you know, we're gonna get you in the box, stuff like that. There's it means nothing to the customer. It's disruptive. It it brings no value. Um, just just treat customers like you know, 
professionally, straightforward. You know, we're going to sit you down with our finance manager. They're great. They're going to take really good care of you. Um, I think anything less than that, I think you're really detracting from the process. And from, you know, if you say, listen, you're going to go sit in the box, this guy's going to take all your money. You're only setting him up for failure. You're not doing anybody any favors. <laughs> like it is. I saw, I had another one the other day. I had a salesperson that I actually had to correct because it was just, it was getting too much for me. I had a salesperson. I actually watched them uh, ask their customer to follow them to the desk to fill out a worksheet. A worksheet? <laughs> what? <laughs> I just, I mean, I literally just, and, and I could see it in the body language of the customer. And, you know, this was a young salesperson and, uh, you know, it, it, it's probably what his manager called it. And that's just what he decided to call it. And I was just yeah. like, that deal is dead. It is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> I can see it already. Like the second the word well just call out of his <laughs> mouth. <laughs> It's like customer number three ten four seven one. Would you come this way, please? Yeah. Can you please follow me? <laughs> now serving customer number three forty one. But you know, it's funny you say that though, because um, that is something that I think we can jam a little bit about. Um, I did an audit for a dealership recently, and I physically called as many of the uh, customers that did not buy uh, from the dealership, right? Um, just to find out why. It's amazing what I learned too. Like just, oh, and it was just a simple question. Like, hey, you know, thanks for stopping by the dealership. That's really cool. Um, you know, I'm just here to just kind of collect some information on kind of why you decided not to purchase. That's all. Do you have, a few, you know, I thought I'd maybe get like 10% of people that would tell me why they didn't buy. Holy crap. I got over 75% of people oh, literally wow. just open up and say, yep, let me, let me scoot this off to the side real quick. I got 10 minutes for you. Let me tell you why I did not buy. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> Like they were excited to tell me why they didn't buy, but I, I'm always looking for patterns. And I found that in all these calls that I made, the consistent pattern was this sense of the customer feeling like they were a piece of cattle and they were mm. just kind of getting like pushed through these, you know, through these troughs, you know, it's just like kind of going one thing to another. Like it wasn't like, it didn't feel, they didn't feel like a, in fact, actually one person said, I didn't feel like a person. Oh, wow. So, strong. All right. I would, and, and, and I wonder sometimes, and I, and I don't think the dealership did it. Like I don't think it was done intentionally. I really don't. Right. Because I know the dealership, know the dealer principal, know the guys. Like I, I don't think they did this intentionally at all, but I think sometimes our process can kind of make the customer feel like that. And if we skip over that meet and greet, that opportunity to create a little bit of a connection with the person, then mm -hmm. how can you blame them? Right. No, exactly. Yeah, you got to find those commonalities, those things you guys can share a bond with right away and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, make yourself human because right away, everyone has their guard up. You're, you're a salesman. You're going to try and sell me something. I don't want to buy anything from you. Um, that's why referrals are so important, right? There's it's that, that one layer of protection is already down. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I think for someone who comes in and doesn't feel like a person, man, they did a terrible job at building rapport. Well, I so. don't think they did at all. I mean, at that point, it's just, you know, it, intentionally or unintentionally, whatever it was, all right, the process that uh, the dealership was following was not giving the salespeople the opportunity to take the time to make that connection, to make that person-to-person -person connection. It was so transactional that this mm -hmm. person, no, some people, no, some customers like a transaction. That's all they want. Some customers do. I, no, exactly. and, 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 and I'm cool with that, right? But I do think that the, the larger percentage of customers that are buying actually would like to make some level of a connection as small or big as they want. You know, I mean, I, 
it was my birthday the other day and I had an old customer of mine send me a little thing on Facebook saying happy birthday. I, was, I sold this person a car like eight years ago, you know, now that connection is oh, wow. a lot more different than, you know, so, so some people want different types of connections. They want bigger, longer lasting connections. Some people just want to feel like it, they're a person. How do we do that in our process? How do we ensure in our process that uh, the customer feels like a person? Oh, I mean, it's all about building that bond, building that rapport. There was an amazing example actually here at my store here recently. One of our sales guys, he had a, he had a guy, he, he knew that he was on another truck. He looked at a, a, a Chevy truck here and was in love with some Ford truck somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It was a lower payment. He liked the options of it, but he came here and him and this, the sales guy had such a strong connection. Um, when this guy left, our the salesperson named Tristan, sent this guy a video of, and it was just a really funny video. And in the, he knew he was a huge Jerry Rice fan. He had a picture of Jerry Rice, printed off, and he put it in the driver's seat. And he just did this video, did a nice walk around video, and they opened up the door and goes, Oh, I'm sorry, this truck's already taken. NFL legend Jerry Rice is in this truck. And he sent <laughs> it to this guy as a joke. That's the only, this guy ended up buying the car literally because of this video, because he just sent this funny video about something they had bonded over. And the guy ended up paying more money for a different truck just because of building that connection. And uh, I think in those situations where you can build these connections, you find these things where you guys can. Uh, a bond over and, and opportunities, and a, right? Exactly. These, and, but our process has to be developed in a way that give us the chance to identify these types of opportunities. Um, you know, exactly. I love the fact that you guys are using video for your communication efforts. It, oh, videos. What, what system are you guys using, by the way? Just out of curiosity. So, so actually, funny story. So, um, we actually won a, the GM's Innovation Award. Um, for the developing of our video platform that we use. It's an in-house video platform we actually developed. And I can't take any of the credit here. This is before I even started. So, oh, I remember uh, so seeing this. Chris, yes, I remember seeing this, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Chris Beaton and Colin Jameson, who, who Chris Beaton's now left the store to become a GM, uh, but Colin Jameson's a GM here. They, they were such huge believers in video that they decided to take what was working from another one and then build their own process from the ground up. And it started in sales, then they brought in service, and we're currently in the process of bringing F&I into this video platform that we use uh, and then kind of make actually even make it now into a CRM that all talking together. And um, so we have it it's called Dealbox is the one that we use, but um, basically we use it for, you know, every lead that sent in should get a personalized video mm-hmm. back right away. Um, and then we use, you know, send it for a walk around videos. Then in our service thing, they have it set up. So they'll send videos of the work we're doing on their car. Right. And they can send, listen, we notice here it's in for an oil change. We actually notice that the brakes need replaced. Do you want to do that now? And they can, on the on the video, they can click yes or no. And then That's so cool. the guy while has on the hoist has already got authorization to do their brake work. Well, so talk about making a amazing. connection, right? Like, and that's what it is. Exactly. It's, it's, it sounds like it's all going back. It's like, you know, to embrace that type of process or to even go as far as creating this system, like that's impressive. Um, you know, there had to be a very specific goal and objective in, in mind, right? And it was mm-hmm. definitely not a, a goal of transaction, Right. You know, you know, if, 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 if the dealership's goal and objective was just to just pump out transactions, then just stick with black and white text, you know, and in a form of an email exactly. or a text message or something like that, that that's that that would be sufficient. Right. But mm-hmm. it definitely sounds like as a dealership, not just in the sales department, but the parts and the service, everybody. All right. Actually, the goal is to connect with someone on some level. Video gives us that opportunity to do that. I mean, 
people that are listening to this right now, that's great. You know, they can, they can hear us and they can hear through our tonality, you know, our passion about what we're talking about, but watching the video, it's going to be totally different. They're going to see, uh, they're going to see your eyes. They're going to see you smile when we're talking. They're going to see with me, my hands flying all over the freaking place. Um, but, but that shows the passion. It shows the energy. It shows, you know, our drive and our motivation about what we're actually talking about. You can only ever get that in video. And that gives someone the opportunity to connect. Like, look how passionate they are about that vehicle. You know, exactly. look, look, at, look at their concern with, you know, our, our brakes. You know, you can hear it in their tonality. You can see it. It's like, look, this looks good. I'm okay with this, but this not so much. Um, mm-hmm. this, this I think you need to address. We need to get these brakes taken care of. Um, <laughs> exactly. And the, fun, the great thing about video is when you do a really good one, it becomes a talking point for, yeah. for these customers to show, they now show their friends. Like the, the first thing here, I was brought my wife's car in for service. And being from staff, I didn't think I was going to get a video. And I was, they sent me one anyways, because it's part of the process here, right? They don't skip the process. So I get this video and I I haven't seen it before firsthand. I'd heard about it, but I hadn't seen it. And I was blown away. So now I'm saying it to my, you know, my old GM, I'm saying it to the wife because it's her car. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I've walked under so many cars doing phrases and whatnot, but having seen it in a video, it's just such a great experience. Mm -hmm. And building that experience is is a unique, uh, something unique that your dealership can offer. That's why, you know, service tension is now off the charts, right? Where, we have our customer engagements off the charts here and all these other things because of this video process that is so unique that it really creates this experience for the customer. Well, it's focusing on the efforts, not necessarily the results. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. hundred like, percent. I mean, um, I don't know, did, you, did you ever do sports? Just to give experience. Did, did you ever do sports oh, yeah. as a kid? Okay. I, I did too. Yep. Right. And, and I'm telling you one of the best coaches I ever had um, never focused necessarily on the results Right, and not necessarily focus on the score or the or or the time it took for us to run the race or anything like that. What all the focus was on the efforts, knowing that if they continue to focus on the efforts, the results would come. Right, and that sounds exactly. like that's pretty much what's happened with you guys. Big time. So walk well, me through some of these there. efforts then. Sure. So, so, some of these so, video efforts. I want. I'm curious. Exactly. So one thing they're doing right now in um, is trying to bring the video into the, the finance office. So um, there's, there's, there's a different, uh, it's a different approach when you start talking about bringing this video into the finance office. So uh, we have, we have it divided between a, a prime finance office and a subprime finance office. So mm-hmm. in the prime finance office, um, a lot of times it's for customers who we don't get a chance to make it in the store. You can put a face to the name to kind of build a little bit of rapport quickly. So if they're doing a delivery in person, they've already met this person. There's a little bit of built up there. They're familiar. Uh, we can share some information about some, uh, you know, what's available, what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one too that we've actually just recently started doing is for customers who were in and bought a new vehicle, uh, but didn't buy warranty. Now we're three years out; their warranty's starting to expire. We can send them a video, being like, "Listen, you know your video is expiring. We have a couple options yeah. for you to protect your car if you'd like to." Uh, and that's so much better than just an email. You know, "Hey, listen, your warranty expiring. Would you like to buy another one?" Right? <laughs> in an email, that doesn't come across, but in a video, you can. You can what well, really comes up cold? Some... There's no end. There's no. There's no. Um... I mean, you're concerned about the person, you know, it's like, exactly. uh, it's actually uh, warranty about to expire is actually one of my favorite campaigns. I, and I think mm-hmm. probably one of the reasons for that is when I first started working at the dealership, all right, uh, we had to make phone calls before we could ever work on the floor. And it was the very yeah. first campaign that I got. They was like, Jay, here's, here's 1200 people. Their warranty is about to expire. I want you to call them and try to set up an appointment. And that, that was 
fortunately that was actually the training program. Um, but, <laughs> but, but it was one of my, but I actually, I found a rhythm and I really enjoyed making these phone calls because a lot of people just did not know. They simply did not know that their warranty was about to expire. And I felt excited about being able to share this with them and to say, Hey, don't worry. Don't worry. We got you. Like I, we, I got you on this one. Okay. We can take care There's of an opportunity here. Yeah, exactly. If you, yeah. if you still love your product, that's great. You want to keep that. That's great. We can, I got you on something, right? You know, and Hey, if you're not mm -hmm. in love with your product, Hey, guess what? I can also deal with that. <laughs> I can take care of that one as well. So you do this in a video. So walk me through a little bit how you guys structure the video. Cause I imagine there was probably, a few attempts <laughs> for sure so the uh the first thing is, is so much of the fine staff so we're terrified to do this video process they see all the sales guys doing it they're always thinking well it's not for me right so uh getting them getting this buy-in uh was a, was a tricky thing at first and uh but i think once you start once they can see the value in it and they can see how it can it affect uh you know their performance and their numbers um suddenly there's a, there's a little bit like a spark of excitement once you have the spark of excitement then it's all just fine-tuning what works for them and, and the nice thing about doing video versus just a, a broad email campaign is everything's personalized right mm -hmm. i can send it right to your phone i can send it right to your email and it's a video and you open up the video and it's you know hey brandon just want to let you know your warranty is about to expire uh you know we have somewhat different options if you're looking to extend that warranty or however they want to approach it it's always personalized to that customer so they can think back and you know, what kind of connections I have with this customer? And a lot of times they're, they're remembering these connections from three years ago uh, that they had yeah. with some of these customers. And they're, they're relating on things that, uh, that they happened during the delivery or, you know, hey, listen, I remember when you and your wife were in, you guys had talked about warranty, we decided not to get it. Now would be a really good time to take advantage of this warranty offer I have for you. And, and just kind of go from there. But it's this personalization and this unique experience, again, that, uh, that when you can offer that to a customer, that, that you really get the best results and the best uptake, I think, in what you're offering. It's awesome. What other uh, unique campaigns come uh, to the top of your mind that you guys are doing with your video efforts? I mean, the other thing too is, is so we have what we're doing in the prime office, but in the subprime office, it's a whole other ball game, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we get a lot of these, we generate a lot of our own leads. We don't necessarily go out and buy leads, not yet anyways, but we're generating a lot of these organic leads. And I think that, that responding to these leads, um, a lot of these people are people who have sent off 10 leads, 10 dealerships, just hoping that they can get approved a lot of time. And I think as a differentiator, if they can respond with a video, listen, I got your lead. I can take care of you. Come on in and, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll get you approved on what you're looking for. Um, being able to set a, a differentiator at this video, this customized right to this person, for them, I think it's such a huge impact because mm -hmm. so much of the time, a lot of these subprime people feel, and, and wrongly so, that they're like they're second-class citizens, they're second-class buyers, that they don't deserve the same type of experience or the same type of attention. Uh, and it could be further from the truth. And I think a lot of these, um, you know, smaller subprime dealerships that, that target these ones don't don't deliver that same level of experience, or that same level of care. Um, so when you get this, they're sending the lead to someplace and someone leads, responds with the lead like, I get you approved, here's your 2012 accent. Or, you know, hey, listen, come on into the dealership, we'll, we'll find out what you want to get and we'll see what we can do for you. Uh, it's just two different things. And that, again, the whole experience idea um, of, of bringing the, a, a unique kind of experience and a personalized experience, mm -hmm. I think it just just has such a great payoff and brings such value to the customer. Well, it, it, it brings such value in the customer and the fact that it shows you actually give a shit. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like it, it's one thing for me to say that I, I, I actually care and I, I want to get you approved. And, you know, I know that you've had a couple hiccups, um, but you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm confident that I'm going to be able to get you taken care of to write that out in black and white text. 
does not nearly have the impact for me to be able to shoot that video and send it over to the customer. They can see it. They can see it in my eyes. They can see it in my and body I, language. I guarantee it, if a customer reads that, it's gonna, they're gonna feel, it's gonna feel disingenuous. So if they can Agreed. see it, it's gonna come across the way you attended, right? And uh, I think that's a big reason why video is so much better, such a better platform than text or email. Yeah, I kind of like this whole video thing. You can tell. I like doing some video just you a know, little bit. You should do um, these. You should, do, I should these. do I should do some of these videos, right? You yeah. <laughs> you know what the one thing I would, and I love the fact that you guys are doing this. Like I really like, again, next level. Um, and, and the cool thing is that I find, the reason I find it next level is because what your goal and objective is. The, the goal and objective is to make the connection, not necessarily to yeah. do the transaction. Because uh, you know that through connecting with that person, is going to give you the opportunity to create a transaction. But, you know, first step first, let's actually connect. Now with that said, mm -hmm. I, and, and it's not something that's I've been thinking about lately and I kind of have your thoughts and opinions on it as well is I find that as a, as an industry, okay. That when we do communicate to our communicate with our clients is that it's, it's usually very self-serving. You know, it's like, you know, I, I, there's value in the warranty expired thing. I agree. There's value in, you know, showing them what foot good breaks, bad breaks. There's value in that to the customer. But again, it's very yeah. self-serving because it still comes back to me. Um, I'm curious, do you guys have any communication uh, strategies or campaigns that are designed just for the simple fact of just, hey, I haven't talked in a while. Just want to make sure you're good. You know, not, not necessarily with the intent of generating a, a, an appointment or an action, but just to, again, just to continue and maintain that relationship, that connection. One of the things that we recently did was for Christmas, instead of sending out, you know, a hundred emails for, to your customers, we actually sent out a lot of personalized Christmas videos, like just, Hey, happy holidays. I want to wish you all the best. Thanks for all your attention and you know, enjoy happy new year. Right. And it was no, no sales. No, pitch, there was no, no, nothing okay. else. I think some of the guys might have thrown in a, hey, if you have a friend in the market, let me know. But other than that, it was just a, it was just a hey, listen, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. It's just a nice video just to kind of make, make contact almost. Just to, and even that's a little self-serving because you want to stay top of mind. You want to be the guy that they think of, right? Sure. But, uh, but in that one message, it was just, you know, Merry Christmas. So, and I thought that was nice. I really liked it. A lot of ones were, you know, and I go back and I watch a ton of the videos and a lot of them were really well done. So, That's awesome. And, and again, um, that's a, that's a routine. You have to make a commitment to routinely putting together this video. Uh, from a manager's perspective, how do you ensure consistency of execution with video communications in your team? A lot of it is, uh, you know, showing the good and the bad. Um, mm. So a lot of times, I don't, and I don't want to shame anyone. I don't want to take someone's video and be like, listen, this is what you don't want to do. A I lot of times I'll just talk about, I'll talk about uh, if there was a video that I think was, poorly executed. I'll use that as an example, but not say who did it or show the video, just kind of talk about like, you know, where was this video missing the mark, just in general topics, right? But then when you have a video that's really, really well done, I want to show that to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. I want to show, listen, this is a prime example of what we're going for. They really, you know, they made a connection with the customer, they built value in the product, they, they it was well shot. Um, you know, it's a good looking video and you know, oh, hey, by the way, this customer watched this video 14 times already. Um, <laughs> Right, something like that. So, so those kinds of just giving feedback, and a lot of times too on some of the other ones, just individual one-on-one -on -one feedback as well. I think has the biggest impact. So when you can sit down with a customer or a, a sales guy, and be like, listen, hey, just watch your last couple of videos. I think you did this really well, but maybe try doing this a little bit different, right? Like pull the car out of the parking spot if you're taking a walk around video, but don't just leave it in the parking spot, right? I agree Clean on that one. Off the car. 
Well, it's cool. I mean, it sounds like video for you guys is not necessarily just another tool for the dealership to use, but it's actually a part of you guys' culture. And that is... 100%. We've actually set benchmarks for performance on video. That's and cool. uh, there's actually, yeah, it's really cool. So every day in the morning, there's actually a report that goes out at eight o'clock in the morning at two o'clock. And uh, eight o'clock report shows your video, total videos yesterday for the, for the day and at two o'clock for oh, yeah. how many videos you've done so far today. And if you're not at 10 by two o'clock, you better come tell me why. So, so it's totally a cultural thing. Um, and I love the fact the that you guys here. are focusing so much on the efforts and not necessarily the results. You know, I, I yep. think that if anybody could take anything away from this time that we spent, talking is, 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 I think that would be the biggest thing they should take away is that, you know, focusing on those efforts eventually will bring those results. We spend way too much time just thinking about how many cars should we sell? How many vehicles did we service? Right? Like let's, let's maybe alter our goals and objectives to not necessarily a transaction, but change our goals and objectives to how do we connect with the customer? How do we continue to connect with the customer? Well, it's exactly this. You can't, you can't manage a result, but you can manage the activity that leads to a result. So very true, right? So building, you know, everyone measures or monitors the like the like the results of everything or the, the lag measures, right? Not the lead measures, which leads into the results. So I think when you take your focus off of well, how many cars did you sell to? What kind of activities did you do? How many appointments did you set? How many videos did you send? All these things we know that lead to a sale. The sale takes mm -hmm. care of itself. The uh, as long as you can make sure that the activity level is high. You know, you're putting out good, good, uh, good content too. And uh, all these other things, all these activities that we know generates the sale, the sales will take care of themselves. I don't need to worry about that as long as I can manage that activity. So and that I kind think of approach and that kind of a mindset. That, that's an awesome takeaway, Brandon, is really just focusing on those activities. I know that's our, that's our time for today. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. For everybody that's listening or watching it and would love to connect and kind of follow along with you in the dealership, what is the best way to do so? Best way to connect with me personally is through LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm fairly active on there. Uh, if you want to reach out to the dealership here, our Facebook page is, is going and our website there. So I'm at Steel uh, Chevrolet Buick GMC and Cadillac in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Look us up on uh, www.steelchev.com or on Facebook. Um, and yeah, reach out to me anytime. I love talking about the industry. I love helping out where I can. So uh, anything I can do to talk more about cars, I'm, I'm all about Awesome. Hey, thanks again, Brandon. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you again, Jason. And just to give a quick shout out to Jake Bernardi. He's my uh, buddy here. He wanted me to mention him on the show. So. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, man. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Jason.